Okay. We are at the second week of Two Ways to Live. And uh, as we begin, let me just remind you of the two primary goals of this class. It's designed to solidify the content of the gospel in our minds and then also to be able to equip us to be able to share it, um, to share the gospel with others. 1 Peter 3.15 says that we need to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have within us. And so this is kind of a... Um, a uh, organized way of thinking about the gospel so we don't just think God loved me Jesus died on the cross he rose from the dead um, but but what elements of the gospel need to be explained in order for a person to understand and to be and to be changed so what we need to be clear about is is that there's one gospel message there's many different ways we can share the gospel there's many different approaches we can use if you were to look um, online, just type in tracks online, you'd find just hundreds and thousands and probably millions of different kinds of tracks, different approaches to, to sharing the gospel. But we need to be clear is that there is only one gospel. This one I, I, perha- I um, particularly like, and as well as the bridge track, but, but this one um, is especially good, and so I think it would be helpful for us to, um, to work through it. So let's review. Last week we talked about evangelism. Can anyone remind us what evangelism is? Remember, we're sharing a specific message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to a specific people. What kind of people are we sharing it to? The lost. And we're, we're doing it in the power of the Spirit with a specific purpose so that they can come to Christ. So we don't, we don't just um, want to give them the gospel just so that we can say we did it. But, but rather so that they can come to Christ. So um, that is, that is the, the definition that we looked at for evangelism. We also talked about what evangelism is not. It's not merely giving your testimony or debating the incarnation or being kind to people. And then we talked about what successful evangelism looks like. So our job is, is to share the gospel not to convert the person. We can't convert the... Why is, why is our job not to convert the person? Okay, exactly. We, we can't do the conversion part. We can't do the changing of heart. We can't turn, you know, unblind their eyes. We can't, um, we can't grant them sight. That's something that God can do. Only God can do. But our job is to, however, share the gospel. It's, it's our privilege to tell the gospel. We're like um, the herald for the king. Right? We come with a message from the king, and our job is not to make sure that every single person uh, responds properly. Our job is to make sure it's clear to them what the king has said. And, and, and so we go with this message, and we go on behalf of the king, we speak on behalf of him, and then uh, it's, it's up to God to, to determine how, whether their hearts will be changed or not. So we're going to move to page two of our track here, but be, before we do that, let's just review page one that we discussed last week. Um, The first theme that we looked at is that God is the loving ruler and creator. That that God in his vast wisdom created all things that exist by him were all things made, including uh, humans made in his image. And this means that that he has the right. He has the, the right over us, the authority over us, because he has created all things. So would someone read or 
recite Revelation 4.11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. All right. So you might have learned it from a different translation, but I did encourage you all to to memorize um, that verse. And and if you haven't done it yet, don't don't fret. There's still time. Uh, we want to be working through all these verses um, throughout this these next six weeks. And it's good for us to have these verses so that you know if we're you know we're missing the um, the track, we can still share the gospel, right? And the same thing, you know, if you're missing your Bible, you should still be able to share the gospel, and it's good to have God's Word hidden in your heart, hidden in your heart that way. Okay, before we conclude our review, can someone tell us why it's so important that we start with God? Why, why not start with um, the, the benefits that come to salvation? Why start with God? Do you remember? Okay, so we're starting on a, a, a common ground, right? Why else? did we say okay so we can talk about the cross we can talk about the resurrection we can talk about salvation um, we can talk about sin but we can't understand it properly if we don't start with God we need to understand the gospel in terms of God and so we we always start with God uh, one of the questions um, that, that Matt asked after the class last week was um, how do you explain to someone that doesn't believe in God, that there is a God. And um, and that's a good question. Uh, you know, we can go through all sorts of arguments to, to, think, to, to think through what, um, what it is that they believe differently and then try to convince them. But, but as I was thinking about that question this week, I think the best answer to that is, is to introduce them to God. Because sometimes people's understanding of God comes from or their understanding that God doesn't exist, comes from things that they don't fully grasp. I mean, obviously, it comes from something they don't fully grasp. So let's introduce them to Jesus Christ. Let's take them through Mark's gospel and say, listen, I know you say you don't believe in God, but but would you at least be willing to look at a firsthand account of God's Son being sent to the earth and what he has to say about this? And then what you've done is you've actually exposed them uh, and introduce them to Jesus Christ himself uh, because um, the gospel is the best news that anyone will ever hear. And if they don't think that, if they don't understand that the, best, the gospel is the best news that they will ever hear, then they haven't fully understood it. And so um, just asking them if they would be willing to read through it with you maybe a couple chapters a week and meet and talk about it would be, might be a helpful way to, to, to have God open their eyes because remember, Faith comes from what? Hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. So we need to take them to the Scriptures and, um, and be able to, to help them in that way. All right, well, let's start with the Word of Prayer now that we've got the introduction uh, out of the way, and then we'll, we'll look at uh, the second page. Father, we're thankful for the deep, deep love that you have shown to us uh, most notably in sending Jesus to die for us despite our rebellion. May help us to understand our sin in its proper perspective today. And, and then as we consider in the weeks ahead uh, what our sin means with regard to our punishment, the judgment that we deserve. 
and um, and then of course as Jesus provides a way for us to to get out from underneath that judgment, Lord help us to think properly about this for ourselves, and and then be able to share it with others. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, if you talk to pretty much anybody, they're going to agree with you that there are some serious problems in the world. I mean, it doesn't matter which, which religion they are, they, they know that in the world things have gone terribly wrong, no matter if they're an atheist or a Buddhist or a Muslim. And, and so why is that? Why is it that we see things like addiction and, and murder and theft and poverty and racism? What are the answers to these kinds of things? Well, according to the Scriptures, Christians believe that God created the world as good, that at the end of the creation week, God says, Behold, it is good. And then after He made woman, behold, it is very good. And and yet something happened. We look around the world now and we see that it's like a virus has been unleashed on on the computer of this world and it's crashed crashed uh, our 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 world and and so now we see corruption and injustice and hatred and greed and death everywhere what what happened did we not give the good family values to our kids did we do we need better schools do we did we not give peace a chance you know what what is the problem maybe maybe there's some truth in some of those things but none of those are the fundamental problem and we as Christians believe that, that, that what has gone wrong rests within each and every one of us. That the problem in this world is not everyone else. That's countercultural. That the problem is outside of us. And, and the solution is inside of me, right? It, if everybody were like me, then, then we wouldn't have the problems that we have. But what Christians believe is the opposite. That the problem's inside of me and the solution is outside of me, not in the world, but in, in the righteousness that I need to have credited to my account. You see the difference there? That, 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 that the solution to the problem is that something needs to happen to my own heart. And according to the Bible, the essence of our problems is this. God has set himself up as ruler, and we have rejected God as ruler. So if we're keeping with our, our little um, drawing there, we have in the first slide there, you have God who created everything. He created the entire universe, and we have it pictured with a, with a picture of the earth there. And then we as humans are part of that earth, so we technically are under the authority of God. And yet, here's what we've done. So look at the picture there on the right side of the picture we have rejected God's authority as king over us. See it crossed out there. So, so again, if you're working through this and it's something that you want to write down as you're explaining the gospel, this, the, these illustrations are just really simple and a helpful way for us to think about what's happened. That we as man have rebelled against God and in our rebellion we rejected him as king and instead noticed over to the left there that we have enthroned ourselves as king. Right, that we are the king. We are the one who's going to make choices for our own life. We're not going to submit ourselves to God. And because we want to rule, we try to run our lives our own way, not God's way. And this rebellion is the reason for all the problems in the world. It wasn't that God had kind of short-circuited when he 
came up with the idea of creating. It wasn't that God kind of missed a note when it came to uh, composing the, the plans of the universe. The, the great problem in, in all of history is what the Bible calls sin. So he, look at this uh, text here in Romans 3 down at the bottom. I want someone to read that for us on the bottom of page 2 of your um, of the two-way slip. Okay, goes on to say in the end of verse 12, together they have become useless, and then you're probably familiar with this, there is none who does good, not even one. So this morning we want to spend the rest of the time unpacking this truth of man's rebellion against God. But, but first I want to talk together about how this looks in a real conversation. How do you describe sin to someone who's not familiar with the term? Turn to Genesis chapter 3. How do you describe sin to someone who, who's not familiar with it? Well, sin began a long time ago with the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. God, who is holy, page 1, right, created Adam and Eve to live under his rule. And, and because he did that, he had the right to tell them what to do. They were his creation. He had the right to tell them how to live and, and what was good for them and what was bad for them. But then something terrible happened, something that's still f- affecting us today. Would someone read verses 1 through 8, Genesis 3, verses 1 through 8. All right, so God told Adam and Eve not to do a specific thing, not to eat from a specific tree. But Satan comes and twists God's word and tempts them to eat from the tree. And he makes a promise to them in verse 5. What's the promise? What is it? Okay, you won't die. What's the other part of it? You You will be like God and you'll know good and evil. So you're not going to die. You're going to be like God. Isn't that better than what you are right now? And you'll, you'll know the difference between, in the way that you'll be like God is that you'll know the difference between good and evil. And we see that, that the woman is drawn in by this lie. And by disobeying God, Eve rejects God as, his, as her ruler. It's either God, right, as the authority over her, or she becomes the authority over herself. And that's what she does when she chooses to believe the serpent. Of course, Adam follows along and, 
and at that moment the fall of man happened. Man chose to reject God as the rightful ruler and authority of his life and chose to make himself his own ruler. It wasn't enough to listen to God's word about how he should live. He wanted to run his life his own way. And so what was the result? In verse 8, what did they do? They, they hid themselves. They, they ran from God. They didn't, want to be, um, they, they didn't want to be exposed before God. And so now this relationship, which was once a loving ruler over his creation, is now a, a strained relationship where the people are running from God. They're hiding from God, rebelling against God, not wanting to have his rule. You see, God's holiness is is actually an extremely dreadful thing if we are rebelling against God. It's like the the it's like the criminal who's just robbed the bank, right? And and the holiness or the 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 justice of the law is now a fearful thing when it's supposed to be meant for their good. It's supposed to be meant for their protection and for their um for their well-being. Instead, when when we rebel against the God of the universe, we actually become dreadful of Him. It's like the um, the parable of the talents. Do you remember when he had the five talents and the what was it? The two talents or three and the one. And the the one who had one talent, when the master returned, he said, "What? What did I do with? Okay, I buried it. And why?" Okay, I knew that you were a dreadful man, that you were fearful, that you would exact judgment on me. You see, that's the way that the lost world sees God because they are in rebellion against God. They take the gifts that have been given to them and they bury them. They don't do anything with them because they're fearful of what God might do if they lose them. And and yet, what God is expecting for us to do is to to take what he's given to us, trust that he's a good God, right? One of the one of the ways that we describe faith in Hebrews 11 is that faith is believing that God is and that he is a what? A rewarder of those who seek him. Do you see the difference in the parable of the talents? The one saw God not as a rewarder but as an exacting judge. The other saw him as a, a rewarder, one who is going to follow through on his promise, and so they acted as such. Well, for Adam and Eve, they were like the one who buried his talent. And and so now this relationship has become a strained relationship. Habakkuk 1, talking about God's holy t- holiness, Habakkuk 1 says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil or to look on evil. Our sin is an affront to the holy God. And so we need protection. Otherwise, we'll be consumed by him. The prophet Isaiah declared himself ruined, right? Isaiah 6, when he stands before the throne of God, he he says, Woe is me. Judgment ought to fall on me because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Ezekiel fell face down in Ezekiel 1. It's a scary thought to be exposed to the holiness of God in our sinful condition. Well, back to Adam and Eve. At the time of their rebellion, all of mankind became rebels against God by nature. When Adam and Eve fell, all of mankind fell with them, including us. 
And we see this in Romans 5, verse 12. It says, Through one man sin entered into, into the world and death through sin. And so on the basis of their sin against God, they, Adam became our representative head in the sense that we all became sinful or, or we all inherited a sinful nature. Every single person to have been born by a father and a mother inherited a sinful nature. And, and so this wasn't just a problem for Adam and Eve. This rebellion against God and our broken relationship with Him is the same problem that every human faces. So again, like Paul said, with the first, the first page, we have this commonality that everyone knows that God exists. So let's start there. And the truth is that everyone knows that they're a sinner. And, and sometimes they, they suppress that truth, and we need, to, we need to show them that they're a sinner. But we have this commonality that God exists, God is our rightful ruler, yet we have all sinned. And so part of the gospel is, is helping them to see beyond the, the blinders um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 3.23, of course, you know, all have sinned and fall and have fallen short of the glory of God. This is the depravity of man, that there is the strained relationship that every single human being has with God, and that there's nothing that we can do about it on our own to, to patch up this relationship. We'll talk about that, what the response is here in the next couple of weeks. But, but the point is that we want to see now is our, our sinful condition. James 2.10, um, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. We're responsible before God. Romans 3.20 says, because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. So there's nothing that, that we can do. Um, in order to meet God's perfect standards. We're all rebels, and we have all broken our relationship with God. If you can get your lost friend to see that critical point, you have gone, uh, you, you've made uh, an important step in explaining the gospel to them. Now, there are lots of people who share the gospel, and they don't talk about sin. They pre- present the basic problem is that, you know, God has a wonderful plan for your life, and we're outside of that wonderful plan. So don't you want to get back into that wonderful plan? Or they may present the problem as as the fact that this world is broken, and the only way that we can correct it is through the gospel. But why do you think it's so important that we talk explicitly about sin and its uh, offensiveness toward the holy God? Why is it so important that we talk about sin? Anyone have any ideas? Okay. Right. Isn't that what Jesus said to the self-righteous Pharisees? Right. It's it's the it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He's not saying you guys are good enough, you've done enough good things, but he's saying you you are self-diagnosed that you don't have a problem. So guess what? You're not going to go to the doctor and get fixed and get get um taken care of. Uh, we need to recognize our sin. No person can respond to the gospel without understanding the basic level of their sin, the basic nature, the basic depravity that they have, that they are opposed to the holy God. So we can't just go to the, all right, let's talk about all the gifts that come in in knowing Jesus Christ 
If we don't talk about sin and repentance, we have not talked about the, the full gospel. We haven't explained the full gospel. I don't want you to think that every time you talk to somebody about the gospel, you have to give them every single one of these six points. But if you're going to explain them the whole gospel over a period of time, it has to include their sin. Um, all right, so let's talk about implications for evangelism. But first, do you have any questions? All right. Let's take a, a minute and think about this with regard to our evangelism, this this idea of sin. Is our sinfulness an easy thing for non-Christians to grasp? Do you, do you think most people believe this, that we are sinful? What have you found? Okay, not at first. Okay. In general, they see it. Sometimes they have to be persuaded. Sometimes they have to. You have to ask some good questions. Um, most people will admit that they are not perfect, right? Most people. We have a presidential candidate that thinks otherwise, but um, but most people. <laughs> what, what was what was it that he said a couple weeks ago? That um, I I can't think of anything that I've ever had to ask for forgiveness of. So. That's why I say that. Um, most people will admit, hey, I'm not perfect, but they'll usually come from it with the angle, have you ever heard this, you know, I, I've made some mistakes or I didn't see things as clearly. They don't really call it what it really is. They don't call it sinning against the holy God. They don't call it what we call it when we talk to God about our sin when we ask for forgiveness, which is, God, I have rebelled against you. I have dethroned you. I have turned against you they won't call it that they'll call it a mistake or you know imperfection um and and so um so in general i think people would recognize that they're not perfect but but this is why it's so important that we are precise in what we talk about sin it's not enough for them to just say okay uh you've admitted that you make mistakes okay let's move on to the next point we need to recognize we need them to help we need to help them see that that this mistake is not just a mistake that that you know um, just made for a not better day uh, you know it could have been a much better day if they hadn't made that mistake it's instead it actually has separated them from the holy god and has actually caused the son of god to die on the cross because of that so how do we help our unbelieving friends see that we're we're all sinful by nature and rebellious apart from um, a work that God does. How, how can we help them to see that they're sinful by nature and that they sin because they're sinners? And ultimately, we have to step back and say, well, ultimately, God has to do that, right? God's the one who has to convince them that they are sinners. But let's just think of some practical ways, uh, five of them, in which we can help people see the the truth about their their own sin. First, help them to... Okay, this is actually on the next page. If you want them to understand the gospel, first look them, look at children. Point them to children, particularly if they're parents, right? Um, sometimes people that don't have children and, and aren't around kids very much don't really understand that the, the obvious depravity 
of children, but parents clearly see it, right? For, listen to David in Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And this is a man who was described as a man after God's own heart. And yet he's saying, I was conceived in sin. That, that is, from the time of conception, I was a sinner. And so, yes, children are very cute, most of them, but they're also born very corrupt. That they have an inherited self-centeredness. No one had to teach little Johnny to be selfish, right? No one had to teach little Susie to hit others. Anyone who has ever raised a child will probably understand that the child's natural inclination is all about himself, to serve himself and to fight for what he wants. Okay, we, we understand that. We see that in kids. We see them that they're sinners. They don't become sinners. They're, they're born sinners. Um, we see that because we have a, a biblical worldview that's, that's informed us in that way, and God's changed our hearts. But we need to help unbelievers see that as well. So there's a good, good start is, is to look at the children. Secondly, look at the world. You're here in Genesis 3. Um, point them to the world around them. Okay, we've already said, you know, most everyone agrees the world is not as it should be. There's, there's too much hate, there's too much injustice, too much selfishness, too much greed. And that's because the world is full of people, and people do things, and people are sinful. And so talk about cultural events and, and ask why that CEO decided to, to falsify the financial statements or misappropriate the company's asset, or why did that man murder that person? Okay, try to get to the root of the, the issue. So there's a recent thing going on in, the, in current events. Talk to them about that. Why do you think that happened? Why is it that there, um, that there are uh, unlawful killings going on? Well, look at Genesis 3, verse 17. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, and you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So here, after Adam's sin, God curses the ground so that it will be difficult to produce fruit and declares that one of the, one of the, um, the consequences of your sin, Adam, is that man now will die. And, and so the reason that we see sickness and natural, natural disasters and wars and famine can all be traced back to right here in Genesis 3. And, and so um, show them the world. Number three... Look at your own life. Help them to see their own life. So put up the mirror of the Scripture to themselves and, and, and just ask them some simple questions. Okay, so why is it you do things that are wrong? Why is it that you do those things that are wrong? You know, have you ever cheated or stolen or, or hated? Why did you do that? And, and the point is, is all those things, the reason that we speak wrongly, the reason that we act wrongly is because, as Jesus said, that out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks, and I think our actions do. Right? It, it all comes from a sinful heart. It's like a tree that bears bad fruit. 
and, and so it needs to be changed. The Apostle Paul declared in Romans seven eighteen, I know that nothing good dwells in me. And so when you're making this case um, that this person you're speaking with is sinful, also make sure that you in, include yourself in the indictment because um, I think we've had in our Christian circles, we've had some bad examples of preachers who are constantly talking in the second person. You know, this is what you ought to do, and you and, and you are the problem, and you have all the sin. And and actually, we all have this. So so when you talk, don't... And this is something that you're going to have to consciously think of at first if you don't already do this. Uh, that is, that when you talk to someone, you need to, to speak to them in, in the first person plural, we... We all are sinners. Now, don't say we are all on, headed towards hell. Um, you can say that if you're thinking about the fact that, that God has rescued you from that place. But, but the fact is, is that, listen, I, I have hated God. I have shown hatred toward God in the way that I have treated my neighbor or mistreated my neighbor and so on. And so feel free to, to expose some sin from your own heart. And this will help serve to break down some barriers. It's not like, hey, I'm... I'm holier than you are. It's it's like, no, the only difference between you and me is God's mercy. For some reason, God gave me uh, an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to it, and this is why I want God's mercy to come on you. So look at your life. Number four, look at God. When people are forced to look in the mirror, um, and, and see the ugliness of their own sin, what they often do is kind of move the mirror out a little bit so they can look at some other people and compare themselves to other people. And so they see other people who are uglier with regard to their sin than they are. And so when they look at themselves, they're not that ugly. And, and what you need to, to recognize is that it is good to help them to see their own sin, to point the mirror to them, but also show them what they look like in terms of the standard which God has given. And and that's the ultimate that's the ultimate mirror, if if we could say it like that. You know, people might think that they're not all that bad, but that's because they compare themselves to, to other people who are worse than them. That's typically if you ask them, who do you think God will let into heaven? They typically list a bunch of sins that they haven't committed. Right? Like I haven't murdered anybody, so there's that. Or I haven't committed adultery, so I know God will accept me. And and what they've done is they've found people that are worse than them. And, and I can tell you that that uh, no matter how evil the crime is that the person has committed, they will always find somebody worse than them. You know, there's always someone, there's always a Hitler or something that they can compare them. So, well, not Hitler. You know, Hitler deserves the hell, but not me. And And so what we need to do is help them to see themselves in comparison to God. They need to understand that God is the holy, holy, holy God in Isaiah 6, verses 3 through 5, right? And he demands complete perfection if we're going to stand before him. All right, finally, look at the Bible. If you want to help unbelievers see their own sin, point them to children, point them to um, to the world and the trouble that there's there, point that there is there. Point them to their own lives, point them to God, and then point them to the Bible. The Bible is where God's law is found. 
And so we can help them look at themselves by holding up God's law of what God expects and how he expects them to live. So here in Exodus 20, you can help them see the Ten Commandments. This is an effective way that I've seen um, use uh, um, that, that um, just ask them about which commandments that they have broken. And, you know, maybe some of the, 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 worst, the worst kinds of sins that are in that list, those they can skip over. But then there's, there's that one, don't bear false witness and, you know, don't covet. So you can do all the things externally, but do you, ha- do you ever have a desire for something that you don't have, a sinful desire for something you don't have that, that causes you to, um, to act in ways that are, are opposed to God? And then here in Matthew 5, you have the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is saying, listen, you have heard that it was said, don't commit murder. But what I'm telling you is you can't even hate your brother. Okay, so, so maybe take them there if they... They kind of get got through the Ten Commandments. Well, I'm pretty good. I mean, most of them got them got them down pretty well. Of course, they haven't, but but that's the way they see it. So take them to the Sermon on the Mount, and it's like, have you ever looked lustfully on a woman, or have you ever hated your brother? Because in God's eyes, it's just just as sinful. And so at this point, if you've been able to to work through. Maybe one or a couple of these. You don't have to work through all these to, to prove to them. This is where the gospel requires, the explanation of the gospel requires for you to, to, um, to just be careful or, or to, to be aware of how they're responding. You know, you may go, you may start with, you know, they have children, so let me just point them to the children. And, and they may get it right away. And so you don't, I'm not saying you have to go through all five of these. These are just some examples of some that you can use in order to show that a person is sinful. All right, so in conclusion, let me summarize what we talked about today and, and give some final thoughts. The clear picture that the Bible paints for us is one of a man who was made, created by God, and who was lovingly ruled by God over him. But then we rejected his rule, and we stepped out and wanted to make ourselves the king, that we wanted to rule our own lives. And and, uh, sadly today, there are no good people, naturally, that, that we don't, you know, we don't have good people that, that were kind of born good, but then they were turned bad. That doesn't happen. We were all born evil, and and we need to be rescued. And that's a difficult message to get across today, especially in our our society of tolerance and um, pluralism and inclusiveness. You know, we don't ever want to say anything that's disparaging, um, because people will will reject it you know, at face value, but they'll also um, try to dismiss it and just say, well, that's your opinion. You know, you have your religion, I have mine. And what we need to explain to them, this isn't about religion. This isn't about being a Baptist. This is about our standing before the Holy God. And um, so our, our problem out here in the world, yes, the world is corrupt. And it will be until Christ returns. But, but the problem is not economic or political or social. If, if that were the problem, then do you know what Jesus would come to do? He would come and just dump 
a huge load of money on people, take care of all the economic problems, take care of all the social problems. But that's not what he came to do, primarily. Now, he did take care of some of those problems. But, but the primary thing that Jesus came to do was to pay for sin. That's our fundamental problem. And that's what, what needs to be corrected. The problem is that we are spiritual rebels. We fundamentally want to live our own way, not God's way. And so we're at enmity with God. And the Bible calls this not a mistake, not you know a little oopsie, but a sin. This is defiance against the holy God. So next week we'll plan to consider the effects of man's sin. So what does this mean? So if you'll notice in this, this tract, what you have is our condition, pages 1 through 3, and then God's response in pages 4 through 6. So what we've looked at so far is God is the loving ruler. We have sinned against him. And then next week, what does this mean? What does this sin actually mean for us? Because now if we've convinced them that they are sinners before the holy God, well, where does that leave us? And that's what we want to explain and, and be reminded of next week. And praise God, it doesn't end at the end of you know page 3. We have a remedy, which is that Jesus Christ has provided a way for us to go before God. So, uh, I, yes, I did uh, put that on there. For next week, just uh, review page 1 and memorize Revelation 4.11 if you haven't done that already. And then um, Romans 3.10-12. And if you'd like to get ahead a little bit, then Hebrews 9.27 for the third uh, for next time, which is, you know... It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. You might, might already know that one. All right, any questions or comments? Yes, Melissa. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The fuel for the fuel for our um, desire to share the gospel comes from our recognition of what the gospel has done for us. You know, the more that we reflect on God's mercies, the more we want other people to experience that, and more that we are um, not offended but frustrated that. People, other people in the world are not giving God the glory that he deserves. Like every single creature in the entire universe uh, ought to be giving glory to God. That's not the case. And, and sadly, we were in that position, and yet God mercifully came down and rescued us, and that should fuel our hearts to want to see others. And so um, one of the things that maybe if your heart is a little bit cold, um, as mine is at times, to to sharing the gospel, you know, like, I'm all set. I mean, why do I really need to share it with others? Um, I think the first step is just praying to God and being honest about that. Say, God, I don't love the lost like Christ did. You know, Jesus came, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
That's what he came to do. He has that kind of heart. Why don't we have that heart? So just say that to God. You know, God, I, I don't have that desire to seek and to save the law. So what, I mean, what, what can you do? What, what would you do for your glory to, to shape my heart so that I love the lost more? Is it, is it that I don't appreciate the gospel as much? As, am I ungrateful? It starts there. And then, um, you know, sometimes it just requires that we go and do it and get some experience talk, talking to people and, and then um, getting some, we could say, success in it seeing God work, uh, whether he just we just are able to explain the gospel or actually see somebody come to Christ. But but I would say that if we're not praying for opportunities, we shouldn't be surprised if we're not getting opportunities. So so I think it starts there with prayer. I think it starts with a recognition of the gospel. That seems to be the point of Romans one through eleven. You know, Romans 12:1. in view of God's mercies, based on all the things that God has done for us, well, what should that result in? Well, it, it results in total transformation. We're willing to give our whole lives to God. And if he calls me to go to the lost with a gospel that's opposed to them, that or with a gospel that, that actually highlights their sin and shows them how lost they are and, and that they will be opposed to, and that we might receive ridicule from, then I'm willing to do that because I've received all this mercy from God in Romans 1 through 11. So, yeah, exactly. It's, it's uh, fueled by a heart that is, is, um, is, uh, is recognizing the mercy that God has, has given. And, and just to be honest, there are some people who are just more naturally gifted at this. Some of us are not extroverts. So, you know, it's a little bit harder for us to get out of our comfort zone and actually talk to somebody. But what I would say is we all know someone. We don't have to go and make new relationships, although we should be praying for those kinds of things. But but we all know someone who's lost, right? We all, either a close family member or a co-worker or a neighbor. And, and so let's start there. Um, as I said last week, you know, three simple steps that David Hasafluk uses in Albania. Pray, meet people. And tell them about Jesus, and then repeat until all the world is heard. And sometimes we overcomplicate it, complicate it, and and I think God would be happy to respond to us if we just prayed. And um, sometimes we just don't have because we don't ask. All right, so there's a little bit of of my um, my own struggles, I guess, with with evangelism and a message that I often remind myself of and. Hope that's helpful for you. Let's pray. I'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you again for the gospel. Fuel and and build the fire in our hearts for the love of your mercy and cause us to to want to see other people come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, until all the world has heard until or until Christ returns. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.